Welcome back to the Raindrop Corner Podcast. This is an affirming space for people who seek to enrich the human experience. This is a place where real-life superheroes and creatives get to share their magic without censorship. And I'm your host, Kay. And our guest this week was Shelton Hole. Shelton is just an amazing human. He's a journalist, a writer, the host of Bowl City Civics, the co-owner of Bowl City Records, and he just is such a versatile person in the Jacksonville and North Florida community. So I'm excited for you all to get to glimpse a little bit into his world a bit. And without further ado, here is an ode to our guest. The words pour out. Synapses firing an explosion of whimsy diluted by anticipation. The reckoning of fingers against a backlit keyboard enticing. Voices crooking their languished fingers at me, goading me forward like a succubi who dared to tango with a reaper. Still, I am a keeper. I am a savvy bard brandishing bruise, a few proclamations and professed Phrases that read like honey do, but damn do they take on a brilliant hue. The words they they pour out. I am careening down a hill, birthed from midnight creation, against the backdrop of my country's degradation. But the sound and fury of creation is still a welcome rumination. My own nuanced frailty, a perceived revelation, almost a welcomed sensation. While this EP stays on heavy rotation, the words they they pour out, they pour out, and they taste of blood transmuted into intent against nerves spent, characterized by a temptest glint. In names and places, I want to catch the scent. I want them to catch the scent. I want to cut through the tides of resent because I am spent, but the words pour out. I pour out, they pour out, the words, these these twisted, tired, hopeful, delicate little things, they pour out, the words endlessly pour out, synapsis is firing, an explosion of whimsy diluted by anticipation, the reckoning of fingers against a bat-lit keyboard, enticing voices, crooking their languished fingers at me, goading me forward like a succubi who dared to tango with a reaper. In the words, they still pour out. Thank you for coming on the show. Our guest is Shelton Hole. Shelton, you are a writer, um, specifically a journalist. You're a podcaster. You host the Bull City Civics and also the Contrast Project. You've done a lot in the storytelling space. And I just, I really adore you as a person. I learn something new every time we talk and just, you know, following your work and reading the pieces that you put out. I really just feel the love that you have for the city of Jacksonville. You know, first of all, it's great to be here. As always, you know, I'm a big fan of yours and these Thank sessions you. are as much fun for me as they are for you. Uh, as to the city, you know, I, I was born here, grew up here, spent most of my life here. It's... I always come back around to just the the texture and the uh, the depth of flavor in the local culture. You know, even at this point in my life, I continue to 
like every week I find myself in a different neighborhood or on a different block, mm-hmm. you know, or in a different community that I may have never even known existed prior to that. Um, even after a quarter century of doing the work that I do out here and, and gosh, almost half a century of being an actual human being in this city, I'm still learning more about it every day. And that's, uh, and that's fun. I, I was talking to a friend, um, just this past weekend and he was surprised as a lot of people are that I was born here and he said you know I don't even I don't feel like I'm from here because I, I'm not I wasn't born here and I said to him that you know the quintessential Jacksonvillian is someone that moved here from somewhere else you know we have it's true yeah a majority <laughs> of our population are people that were not born here and that's always been part of the a plan, I think, in terms of civic organization. It's a tourist economy in Florida. Jacksonville is a city that really set in motion the entire branding of Florida as a state. You know, before, before Orlando, before Tampa, before Miami, before Key West, uh, basically Jacksonville and St. Augustine were, were like sort of running point on all of this. So we, we can, in addition to all the, the great stuff we've done here, we can also kind of take a little credit for everything that the rest of the state is doing as well. And a lot of people don't realize that, but Jacksonville is so vast and just rich in history, especially when you bring up St. Augustine as well, just the wealth of history between the two places. And I know that you and I talked about this before, but like the fact that Jacksonville actually burned to the ground at one point and then was rebuilt and kind of, my if i'm correct maintained its cultural status in the state even as things started to kind of grow and shift and change jacksonville is definitely one of those places that just continues to go no matter what and that's always specifically fascinated me and i always enjoy having these conversations with you because it's like the kind of history class that i wish i had (laughs) <laughs> that was going to school but also it it's very insightful as well because I think that um my experience as somebody who wasn't raised here who kind of came here from the West Palm Beach area you know I didn't there yeah it's a lovely area it's very different now than it was yeah. from when I was a kid like 20 years ago <laughs> longer than that I the history here and the depth of it was something that I wasn't aware of I feel like Jacksonville has all of there's so much development and production that happens here there's so much history Mm -hmm. but it doesn't get talked about a lot in external places well you look at a lot of the key buildings you know they'll have like in some cases there's there's like such an abundance of history that almost like has the opposite effect of what's intended where it's like well this is a great building it's got like which one of this which one of the 12 different ghost stories can we tell about this place we got an hour which scandal in this particular building because we can go oh there's so many thing. and that's part of the joy you know like the size of this city is it can be a negative a negative because it's in terms of administering social services uh logistics of like police and fire and first responders you know the flooding, infrastructure, all that's, uh, you know, wiring the place, the, the broadband, high-speed internet, all that stuff is a challenge. But then the upside is we have so much land, you know? Mm-hmm. If you had, like, you could fit, what was it, over 700 square miles, you know, you could, in theory, I mean, because the highest population density in the world right now are, well, 
not in the world, but one in New York, in America certainly, is New York City, which mm-hmm. I believe approaches like 25, 30,000 people mm-hmm. per square mile. If we were doing that here, like we could fit, geez, like you could fit 5 million people in this. In theory, you could fit 5 million people in this city in the next 50 years without like any real growing pains at all. It's such a if wild done, thought. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, you look all that Disney stuff, like, we could have done that. Wait, you know? wasn't like, Jacksonville in like one of the places that they were considering building Disney? If I read correctly, uh, we yeah we were we were in the discussion certainly. Uh, I think you know I can see why they went went down there. I, I would, and I don't know the full story of it, but I think that it would have been you know Walt like control. Yeah, you know. So I mean that's why. I mean, where's Disneyland at in California? It's like Pasadena or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, something like that, yeah. I think. Yeah, like it's, but it's not in LA. Mm-hmm. It's not in San Francisco. <laughs> yeah. It's deliberately put sort of away from where the main tourist uh, area would be, you know? So at the time they made that decision, they probably thought, well, we'll set up in Orlando because there's less action here. It's a more pliable local government. We can we can build this thing and maintain this thing on our terms, which is essentially what happened until now. I mean, oddly, just until just a few weeks ago when Disney and DeSantis got into it, you know, mm-hmm. which is uh, insane because, I mean, I think, I mean, I thought we'd finished having our debates about Disney. I think everybody, I thought <laughs> Disney was one of those things. Everybody was just like, okay, you know, we got Disney, we got the NBA, you know, we got... You know, let's not worry about. You know, and yeah, and also we were in the running for allegedly for um, the what became Cape Canaveral. I had heard uh, about that that too. That was at a time when local schools were being discredited and local politicians were being uh, locked up in uh, in multiple numbers uh, due to corruption and graft and things like that. So we missed out on that. And then, of course, we had uh, you know we. It's not like we had Hollywood, as people like to say, but what we had, like Hollywood exists, is like we didn't have Hollywood, but Hollywood exists because we threw them out, like early motion picture uh, activity, because uh, East Coast, uh, you know, it made more sense. Florida, like closest thing to a tropical environment, mm-hmm. you know, like wetlands, grasslands, you know, really good beaches, things like that, that could be used in there's so much opportunity i think and i mean i know that there's a lot of red tape involved and it's not as simple as just asking for things but i feel like there's there's wonderful things happening happening in the city in terms of really cool people coming in with cool ideas existing people doing great work but there's just a lack of a lot of things it's very strange to me that there isn't more there's a lot of filmmakers who live here in the city but there's just not a huge film presence. And you would think that there would be, considering there's a lot of good media that comes out of Florida in general. And even with the situation with the Super Bowl, it's it's the sporting situation in Jacksonville. Even though I don't follow sports, I know enough to know that it's just kind of strange the way a city this big and this resourceful moves. You are so ingrained with a passion and with deep care from what I can see in just the comings and goings of Jacksonville and in history in general. Have you always been drawn to story and history as it relates to the city? 
I have uh, about the, the city and just about in general, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, I have, like, I like what I like, you know, I, I have a, I'm very good at remembering the things that I want to remember, but I'm not good at all. I'm not good at all remembering the things that I don't want to remember. Gotcha. You know? <laughs> That's fair. Like, I mean, I have a certain intelligence, but I also lack common sense and in many regards. And I think that's the secret to my continued youthfulness. The fact that uh, I've been able to pretty much sort of monetize my immaturity. You know, I, I do have a, <laughs> there you a, go. a childlike curiosity about history. And I like, uh, I like having a, being in a line of work that allows me to uh, pursue those curiosities. Where I can, I can go and call somebody or send someone an email and just ask them a question. You know, I can, you know, and being in a community of people, again, Florida's weird, like, we live in the weirdest city, in the weirdest state, in the weirdest country in the world. We do, it's weird you as know? fuck here, y'all. <laughs> y'all are listening from any other place. So, like, if, if if people like us think that something is weird, it's probably already, like, so far out of control. <laughs> like, you know, it's... So, I, I've had that curiosity and... Part of that's because of my family, uh, you know, growing up uh, around them. A part of it's just the the fact that the the history is just sort of right out there for you. Like you see these names, and you know, like I remember, like there's part of, out on the west side over by Normandy where they've got a row of streets named after Disney uh, characters and Disney locations. Yeah, and I didn't, I, I hadn't thought about that in years until you just mentioned it right then um and to me, i think that the more you know about your past the more you the better prepared you are for the future so that's uh that's always been the approach i take but honestly like my favorite thing in the world is just talking to people i love talking to strangers like i love going to just bars where i never met anybody and just sitting down at the end of the bar and just waiting to see like what kind of weirdo uh, approaches me first you know I love it. I that's something. And I don't say weirdo is a pejorative. You know, I'm a weirdo too. Uh, maybe weirder than most, but that's, you know, that to me that's the essence of journalism. You know, telling these stories. Uh, you know, and I think that what the whole podcast industry, as we see it now, has really kind of evolved from the the conversations that we were all having holistically anyway, like all like the all the late night like after hours after party mm-hmm. sitting on a couch like drinking you know pvr or schlitz or whatever with you know random people after a show like it i think that they create like a sort of critical mass of information and also of confidence certainly for mm-hmm. me and i think for a lot of other people where now um people are feeling empowered you know as as bad as the pandemic was, like the amount of creativity that came out of it, like so, like over these last couple of years, so much good music, you know, so like much. so much good film, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, so that that's fun. Like it, and it's fun to be able to have a platform where we can recognize these things and tell other people about some of this cool stuff that's going on, and you know, and people say, well, I. You know, I trust Shelton, I trust Kay, you know, I trust their opinion about this, I'll go check it out. I think there's something really refreshing about that, and I can see it too. There is a wealth of awesome content that has come out, and 
something that specifically makes me gravitate towards your work is you're telling the weird in like the stories out there that you find but i feel like you also find a really cool nuanced way to show a different side of someone or to present someone new that no one really knew about unless they were following them directly beforehand and i really like that specifically with your pieces on music since the love that you have for music is just very clear in the work Mm -hmm. that you do so tell me a little bit about your relationship with music and how it translates into your writing well um i've always been a fan consider myself a professional fan of for years even to this day like i i listen to music when i'm writing you know whenever i write about music i also write about politics different things like that but you know playing music while i'm just while i'm writing um sets me in a certain mood and helps me uh create a certain tempo because I, i feel that good writing especially journalism needs to have like a quality pace and a quality tempo mm-hmm. because you need like a, you need a rhythm to the writing that um catches the reader like you want a strong lead sentence that draws them in and has an almost propulsive swing that carries the reader to the uh through the article uh the better it's written the faster the reader can read it and the more information you can put into it you know like how many proper nouns can you fit into a sentence, you know, how much, <laughs> you know, trying to tell like these big stories in like 500 words is a challenge. Sometimes it's easier to write. The th- a lot of times I'll say to someone, like, Hey, I'm just going to give you the thousand word version because to, to chop it down to 500 would just take me more time. Mm-hmm. So I'll just take less money for a longer article and, and be happy about that. Cause I get to move on the next thing um and with the, with music you know well number one i don't write about anything i don't like i don't write about anyone i anyone that i don't like you know i don't when it comes to art to music i don't use my platform to you know do the the negativity or to tear down people's work in in part because i mean i don't believe in punching down and i don't yeah. believe in being discouraging mm-hmm. and uh and I don't believe that everything is for me. You know, I don't just think that I'm the target market for someone else's project. You know, sometimes I'll say, well, this isn't really my thing. Let me pass along to another uh, colleague who's more into that genre or more into that, whatever that material is. Um, when it comes to writing for a living, I always say to uh, young people looking to get into it that um, writing about music is the easiest way to get in find bands and artists that uh, haven't been written about in your local media before and present stories about them. Find people that you're passionate about, you know, and because the job of a music journalist primarily is about advocacy, you know, and there are multiple strains of it depending on what kind of uh, genre you're looking at. You, In the world of hip-hop, you've got your people like, like Harry Allen, uh, Greg Tate, rest in peace, uh, you got your jazz guys, whether it's like Stanley Crouch, Matt Hintoff, uh, Warren Keep News, going all the way back to George Simon and Leonard Feather in the 20s. Then up through the 70s, you've got, you know, everyone from like Kurt Loder, Lester Bangs, you know, in the rock and roll world. And like each, like when I, when I say those names in my, in my mind, like each name, as soon as I say the name, like there's 
20 bands that just come up like because of that because of that name and that's where you know I can these guys that like some of whom are dead now all this stuff that was written 50 80 maybe 100 years ago I can go in like pick up the compilation the anthologies of these guys work and and get recommendations for shit to listen to go find it on YouTube and then it's like really good you're cultivating that legacy and you're keeping it alive yeah. by talking about them and writing about them and the piece that really stuck out to me was like the advocacy piece because there is a huge advocacy piece in that and choosing yeah. to spotlight the people that you enjoy and the people that really strike a chord with you and I know that you're also yeah. I believe a co-founder of Bold City Records as well which essentially is all about spotlighting individuals and really kind of pushing them to be their best while also sharing art with the world something that people right. can really gel with so I I love that I think it's needed sometimes with music because of how I don't want to say how saturated it can be, but how we tend to focus on like the bigger names. It's really nice to see people spotlight artists from all over the place, different genres, from different ages, and then also right. local artists that, you oh, know, yeah. no one should have to wait until they make it into the big leagues to, right. to get their flowers, so to speak. Yeah, and I think it's really, the music business as it is now is, and, you know, there's uh, have a huge debate about this. And I know a lot of professionals may disagree depending on the genre, but I feel like the music business is one example of an area where technology has had an overwhelmingly uh, uh, positive transformative change. You know, nowadays, like, because I'm, I'm old enough to remember when, like, you, you had to have MTV on yeah. your side you had to have a major label deal mm -hmm. you had to have you had to be on commercial radio and there's like one like there's like a handful of people that decided what was on the radio you know and it's like and all that stuff was like you know just the amount of overhead like you had to have physical product you had to have a full cd if you were just putting out if you had like one good song like there's no way to monetize one good song you had to have like the one good song and then five like okay songs on an ep in order to sell that you know because mm -hmm. if, if you wanted because if you wanted the single the only way to get the single was on vinyl you know? yes and now you can have that one good song recorded today put it online tomorrow and you're spending the money next week and the fans are paying less the artists nowadays between the streaming and the social media and all that the artists can engage the fans directly mm -hmm. uh there's no there's no middlemen there's no gatekeepers you know but and it also heightens the role of influencers like to hate to use that word influencers but say say someone like like me whose job in part is to write about music uh to write articles about artists that i believe in with the intent of getting their material out to bigger audiences and larger crowds or using my platform to write about artists I believe in from elsewhere. So my heroes that are coming through town and I can, you know, like I get to talk to Bikini Kill soon. Like that's something that uh, means a lot to me. And, and put that out there 
the way things are now is it's much easier. It's probably an exciting time for you <laughs> to be a journalist and to get to chronicle that. So I know we kind of loosely touched on this already. What led you to specifically journalism? Is that something that started at an early age where you've always loved writing or is that something that was cultivated over time? Well, I didn't always like, I didn't always like writing. I didn't always love writing, but I always loved reading. Mm-hmm. I love reading all types of things. Uh, novels and stuff, comic books were cool, but I really liked, I always really loved newspapers and magazines. Like, I really love like Sports Illustrated. You know, I grew up in the eighties. I remember my grandma had an old set of uh, old set of World Book encyclopedias. Like, just she got them when uh, my mom was a kid. My mom, my aunt were kids, and uh, they're just sitting like collecting dust back in the room somewhere. I think they're from nineteen sixty nine. So by the time I'm looking at them, it's fifteen years mm-hmm. since uh, they came out. But I remember. Over the course of a year, like, I read the entire set, you know? So I remember reading it by the time, and it's not front to back, I just go back and forth, you know? Almost the way you would go through uh, Wikipedia entries, like, linking back and forth, except you're, you're like, reading something, like, okay, you pick this up, look, you have this thing, you know, kind of going through that. And I remember when I finished it, thinking to myself, okay, all right, now I'm, I'm good up to up through 1969 you know now it's time to catch up on everything else and that's when i really got in big on the newspapers you know uh there's a lady named charlotte stewart who used to live across the street from uh my house uh on the north side uh she was uh good friends with my grandma and she wrote the society column uh for the social column for a newspaper called the Florida Times, not the Florida Times, the Florida Star, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. which is still active today. Um, and so I, she was the first writer I ever met, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I learned to read very young, and I would, you know, every day there'd be like a Times Union or a Jacksonville Journal or, a, you know, a Florida Star or something like this. And my, you know, my mom worked at Southern Bell, my, my aunt worked at the city, so they're always like little publications or you know that everyone in the family just sort of got in the habit of like oh whatever magazines we come across let's just bring it to Shelton you know so I just have these you know and I you know I I really didn't care what like I was reading you know science magazines and you know I would go to like uh, corner stores and stuff and uh, they would give me like the old magazines that they, from last week that they're about to throw out you know and I'd take it back and it was just like I'm here and for the it. Stuff, the, the stuff I liked, I clipped things out and like make photo collages. And so I always loved the, the reading. Now, my original plan was I always wanted to be a baseball player. Oh, really? I playing, yeah, I always wanted to be a baseball player. And then I started playing baseball and I realized I need to find something else to do. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know. No story. There's no story of perseverance and struggling against the odds. Like I attempted it and I failed. So I did something else. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> but, at least you I, tried. What I really wanted to do though was be a stand-up comedian. You know, like my plan as a, as a young teenager was to like, I always wanted to be on Saturday Night Live. I wanted to host Weekend Update. You know, doing jokes about comedy. So a very specific where, sketch. I can see you doing that actually. Yeah, like, I would still be good at like. Like, I grew up, I loved talk shows. Like, 
I used to watch because they the family would let me stay up late, you know, because my grades were good. I was I wasn't any problem, you know. But like I learned at a young age, like you just stay kind of quiet and like don't you know don't cause a fuss, and you can pretty much just do whatever you want. And so I would watch like. I watched every episode of like Letterman. I used to watch Johnny Carson, Arsenio. I love that whole like style. Like he, you know, like ten years old, and Johnny's on there with like, you know, like Bob Hope and like Bill Cosby and people like that. And you just see this whole like, you know, for a young kid growing up on the North Side, it's like it's this whole like atmosphere that's so. Oh, you want a piece of that? Like you want to be in that room? You want to like? You know, you want to see these dudes that have rings on their pinky fingers. Like, why is a ring on their pinky fingers? <laughs> yeah. No, it's enticing. It's It makes sense <laughs> that you would want that. Also, like, all of those people that you just named, they have this very charismatic style in the way they're yeah. able to just kind of direct a conversation. It's it's a very yeah. impressive kind of synergy. Yeah, and I thought it, you know, there's a lot of natural aspect to it. But And as I got older, I... I got really I, I got I had fun to enjoy learning about how uh, the amount of work that went into that like mm-hmm. you know because I'm watching Johnny Carson all this watching these these guys and like you know my grandma says something like oh they probably met in vaudeville and I'm like well what's vaudeville and she, she mentions vaudeville to me you know years later I started looking that up and that's a that's a whole aesthetic like you know the way those guys were the way those guys would work jerry lewis used to carry to the end of his life he got into a habit in vaudeville and he did carry it for the rest of his life four pockets in his pants he'd carry at least five thousand dollars cash on him at all times 20s 10s five no but hundreds 50s 20s and 10s in each pocket that seems like such a hazard (laughs) <laughs> every day his every day his assistant would have the money laid out for him prepared to put into his pockets fresh money every day sequentially numbered bills in each denomination and the fives the ones the change any cash that was unspent that day was taken out and given back to be deposited in and cycled back through like you know always keeping the clean fresh money on him you know that so that kind of those kinds of things like like that's a but that's a you remember seeing that it's like like wow that that's an actual like real person that actually lived that life you know like you forget about that sometimes it's like the yeah but then so i knew that like comedy would be a uh require a lot of writing and i was already good at writing at that point but i for me, it was more about the performance aspect, you know? Mm-hmm. Even though I'm kind of naturally shy and I get stage fright and stuff, like, I always find that I can be nervous as hell, but once it actually begins, like, once you have no choice but to actually go out there and do it, it's fine, you know? I uh, I what? resonate with that a lot. I, yeah. I definitely have that. Um, I don't know. I just, I think... You make a really good point, too. People, they are people outside of the life that they live. I mean, it has to also be kind of a rush. I know that you've covered a numerous amount of concerts, um, just other events with with prominent figures. 
at them that has to be a rush to some degree to getting a, to be able to get a glimpse into that person's life um oh, and to chronicle it as well yeah it's i mean yeah like to this day like it, it's never about the money like it's not it's always nice to get paid for stuff you know uh but when you when you when I'm writing something, just seeing it in print, when I see the story, when it's done and it's laid out and it, you know, and it's fun. Another fun thing about my job is being able to work with like so many like great, like graphic designers and, and lay out people. I like think, you know, I can provide the words and like we get the pictures and stuff, but the finish, seeing the finished product is just always, uh, it's always a joy and it's always satisfying, especially because like, you know, it's, I'm always writing about stuff and about people that I believe in. So I see it finished and it's like, oh, I know, I know they're going to enjoy that. Like that's something that they're going to be able to take and show it to their people and their people, you know, who like them as much as I do are going to like, you know, get some joy from it too. And, uh, yeah, once I, See, there's a book called Fear Loving Las Vegas. Yes. Actually, let me backtrack. The reason I'm a journalist now, not a comedian, it starts with uh, a woman named Tabitha Soren. Mm-hmm. Tabitha Soren used to do, she used to be on MTV News in the early 90s. And in the, they would have like uh, the Weekend Rock and, uh, you know, the Day in Rock. They'd have a show called Rock Light, a call-in music show and, you know, she did, she did the last interview with Tupac, for example. She yeah. did, like, really good, you know, stuff like that. They do these little five-minute news, music news updates. And, you know, and they had, like, a theme song, like, total, like, Dan Rather type stuff, you know, while they're talking about Axl Rose or whatever. Mm-hmm. And those segments would air, like, at the end of the hour, like, uh, at, say, 5.50 in the morning. Mm-hmm. It airs, and then they play a song leading to the seven o'clock. So that her, she and uh, her boss Kurt Loder, a former editor of Rolling Stone, uh, which is how I first heard of Rolling Stone magazine, uh, that would usually be the last thing I watched before I got on the bus. Uh, you know, because I was on the north side going out to Ed White on the west side. So my bus came about six twenty or something like that, 6.20, So I'm, like, right out the door. So the tap the sword, like, the news update, because it's like, you know, got to find out what's going on with Motley Crue before I go to go to school, right? And mm-hmm. and um, and then they'd all, the videos they'd show after that would be, like, Led Zeppelin, Suzanne Vega, R.E.M., like, a lot of bands I found out just through that. But anyway, I had a had a big crush on Tap the Sword and as, you know, I just liked her style anyway. And mm-hmm. and back then in the early nineties, like like I could just call like I would call MTV's office and just say, Hey, can I speak to Tap the Sword? And say, Yeah, <laughs> we awesome. put you through. <laughs> but I didn't she picks up. She's like, Hey, who's this? I'm like, Hey, hey, this is Shelton. I'm calling from Jacksonville. I'm a big fan. I was wondering, can you send me an autographed picture? Also and then I would ask them like really pointed questions about the uh the stuff and that's a this that's a that's the first trick I learned in journalism. I learned it from talking to them, which is you know having like questions that are almost disarming. Like mm-hmm. when asking questions, I try to always ask, especially when I'm interviewing like 
big name artists or whatever or politicians i try to ask them questions that i don't think they've been asked before yes you know Mm -hmm. because just the novel approach stimulates their thought you know and so they come to associate that interviewer or that outlet with uh with fresh content fresh Mm -hmm. material which then kind of gets you kind of bumped up in line next time the tour comes back around and they're lining up their interviews to promote it or they're like giving out their the uh the comp tickets and like well who gets the close-up you know this or that you know there's so much Uh, power to that so much i um you can visibly see the change on someone's face when you ask them a disarming question because they they feel like they're gonna get the same 10 questions and when they Mm -hmm. don't a lot of them I, I haven't never found anybody to respond negatively. It's normally a positive yeah. surprise for them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and by this army, it's never like gotcha. It's never about, you know, it's about stimulating uh, the conversation. And, and also it's like, well, if I'm, if you're asking fresh questions, you're getting fresh answers. Mm-hmm. And knowing that the, uh, like, for example, uh, my friend Madeline Peru, right? Mm-hmm. I call her my friend. Uh, because she's only recently become my friend a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. For the previous 25 years, she's one of my favorite jazz singers uh, of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I've written about her from a distance. You know, but she finally she was going to play the jazz festival back in 2014, I think, but uh, I got rained out that day. Mm-hmm. So she was playing St. Augustine. I interviewed her for uh, an article. I pitched it some months back. I ended up doing it and she of course you get like a couple of tickets for the show and, and all that that they the artist gives you she left backstage passes for me and my friend and we went backstage and it was just like her and her band and like half a dozen like close friends that were in the area you know and, and me and my friend like we just hung out for like half an hour you know like vaping and drinking beer all this stuff and and that was a lot of fun because uh you know, while I was interviewing her, you know, she was, it was, they came from like sort of disarming questions. Like I was asking her stuff about questions about songs she hadn't been asked in a while. And, and at one point she said something like, well, no, that's, this interview is on, on my YouTube channel, I believe, and whatnot. And at one point she said something like, I, uh, well, I don't know if anyone would, would really care about that thing I did or this thing I did. I'm like, oh no, like we're, you know, us Madeline Peru fans, we talked to each other, like, heavily. she was, like, you know, shocked at the idea that, like, her fans were, like, talk, like, the idea that there's, like, a Reddit page about her, like, she had no, she had no idea that, like, oh, yeah, this is, your work is a deep and intense fascination to uh, lots and lots of people, and we talk about it all the time, have, have done that for years, you know? You probably made her day, too. You obviously have a deep love for your mm. community and beyond, but what is it that you want to do with your work? Hmm. That's a good question. Uh, my dream my dream job would be if AOC was president and I was vice president. <laughs> I'm here I'm for it. I just want to come to yeah. dinners. That's it. <laughs> I mean, I ran for city council back in 2011, and... I didn't win, but that was okay. It was a fine race. Everybody, there are no bad choices, you know. It was all first-time candidates, and that happens. Um, I always recommend that everyone should run for office at least once. 
you know, whether they win or not, like it's a fun experience. It's a great way to learn more about your community and engage your community, mm-hmm. you know, and people still mention it, you know, like, I mean, it's like if everyone that's mentioned it in the 10 years since, you voted actually <laughs> both, I would have won, you know? Yeah. I mean, I like to, I like to joke that, you know, if, if pets, if, if pets and babies could vote, you know, if children could vote, I would already be president. <laughs> if children could vote, there'd be no no way of ever stopping my agenda. And quite no. frankly, with your brain, like a lot of people will say, like, either ironically or unironically, that they want to be president or what have you. But with your brain, I would actually be okay with it. You're one of the few people who can yeah. say that and I'd be like, I'm, I'm here for it. <laughs> I think I'd be, I think I'd be good at it, you know, which, you know... Not, and that's not so much to be cocky. I just think I wouldn't. I don't think I'd be doing anything special. Like if I was president, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to have legislation with my name on it or anything like that. I'd be like, I treat it like I'm just the caretaker of this big system, and I just want to polish it and fine tune it, change the oil, change the tires. You know, just make sure it's like running the way it needs to be. Like just strict like. No ego, just like, just like continuous problem solving, you know. Well, in a perfect the blind spots, you know. Mm-hmm. In a perfect world, that's how it should be, though. I yeah. think some of the problems that we've faced have come from ego and an inability yeah. to remain focused on what the role is, and not just like even on the presidential level, but in other levels of government. So absolutely. Outside of you being president. What does a person get out of their stories who covers such a plethora of different stories and has such a, maybe this sounds weird and you can correct me if I'm wrong, it might be inaccurate, but when you look at issues and concerns going on in the community, I notice that you take a very logical stance. You're not, you don't seem to be a very reactive person. You seem a little bit more responsive than you are reactive. So with that in mind, at least from my perception, what is it that covering stories in general gives you? Like, what does it personally do in terms of fulfillment? I think first and foremost, it gives me a sense of empowerment. Mm -hmm. It gives me, it makes me feel like I am at least attempting to influence events in the world around me for the better, you know? I feel that, you know, we are, I mean, it's 2022 and there's still people that are fighting for the right to vote, for the right to go to school, you know, people that don't have clean water, people, thousands of children that sleep on the streets at night, you know? And it's, uh, you know, and it's good to ha- have fun. We, you know, I enjoy the work I do, it's every, it, and you should. But it's like it's always important to remember, especially as Americans, that you know the lives of in- the lives and the livelihoods of innocent people mm-hmm. every day depend on the choices we make. You know, when we choose not to vote, that's a choice. You know, when we choose to let our personal feelings or our our emotions or our agendas get in the way of making sure the babies are fed, you know, that's a, that's a mistake and that's not sustainable within a society. In tennis, they have a term called uh, the unforced error, mm-hmm. which is, uh, you know, when 
when you lose a point simply because you hit the shot wrong mm-hmm. or you made a mistake, you know, not because the opponent did something to you. Like, you should have returned that properly, but you fucked that up. You know, that's a term that has increasing relevance in uh, politics and stuff now because that's where I feel like that's where the industrialized world has been for much of this century. I feel like America has made a series of bad decisions uh, in the 21st century, starting with the Iraq war. You know, the, okay. the war in Iraq, I believe, was a mistake. And I think a lot of stuff has sort of unraveled from there, you know. But let me say also, you know, you got to take my views on that with a grain of salt because I had a friend uh, give me a $170 bottle or something like that of uh, Ruby Martin XO Cognac, and I poured a shot of it earlier, and then I put Skittles in it. <laughs> so if you don't, so if you don't want to vote for me, I totally understand. the audacity. No, it's probably <laughs> fucking delicious. It it sounds like it would be good. This is extreme transparency. Well, the the coat, you know, the liquor part is good, but the the candy's gonna be, you know, <laughs> I sacrifice the liquor to for the sake of the candy, you know. Because that's where how my priorities go. I I need to get on your level. Next time we talk, I will bring my own bottle. It'll probably be a much cheaper bottle, but oh yeah, it's as long as it's a bottle. <laughs> but I will bring the skittles next time, Shelton. I oh yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh that's it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I key want to try this now. I take I take that back. You should vote for me. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I so it was good. Okay. Yeah. I'm I'm going to take a video of this experience, and if I don't like it, I'm not voting for you. Just kidding. That's that's fair. <laughs> totally fair. But no, Shelton. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and speaking it's with me. It's always a pleasure. Likewise, and if people want to keep up with what you're doing and just your writings, where should they go to do that? Well, um, I'm. I try to make myself as easily contactable as possible. So my name is Sheldon Hall, S-H-E-L-T-O-N-H-U-L-L, and all of my social media, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, et cetera, all attaches to that. And, uh, yeah, so you can find all that. Uh, Bold City Civics is on YouTube and all your favorite podcast platforms. The Contrast Project is on YouTube and uh, the pot, the Contrast Project Lounge podcast is available on all your uh, favorite uh, podcast listening uh, devices. FolioWeekly.com, WJCT.org, um, NarrowOnline.com. And Shelton, thanks again for coming on the show. Thank you. And uh, I hope to see you at the Jazz Fest, if not sooner. Most most definitely, but most definitely. Thank you for coming on the show, Shelton, and everyone else. Until next time. Thank you to all of our listeners out there. As always, you are the most beloved and make all of this magic continually possible. Before I wrap up the podcast for today, I just wanted to talk about some cool changes coming to the podcast. Our style isn't going to change too much, but I really spent a lot of time this particular season trying to create versatile content and content that steps outside of even my comfort zone a little bit so that I can truly bring you quality guests and a quality experience. To me, everyone and their mom has a podcast 
and it's not about standing out but it's about making people feel seen and i want to create a platform where people who do the work and do good work feel seen and the people that listen feel a sense of resonance within their spirit and to do that we're going to also add an additional segment called round tables which are exactly what they sound like they're gonna be multiple guests that talk about important issues in the community and some pop culture happenings here and there but it's going to provide more nuanced conversation and i'm super excited for that As always, the Raindrop Corner podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and all standard podcast streaming platforms. Until next time.